morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. So glad that you have chosen to be with us uh, in our time of worship. Uh, and I know we, I was kind of looking around the room a second ago. We've got some folks that are new with us. And so if you are brand new with us, thanks for um, being here this morning. We love it when new folks come to our services every week. And so if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor uh, here at the table. Um, Kelly welcomed you all a minute ago, and the slide was on the screen, but I want to make sure that you do this. If you are brand new with us today, please text the word welcome to 833-276-5450 because we want to connect with you. And so you doing that, you'll receive back a, a, a link to a digital connection card so that we can um, just follow up with you because I love to answer people's questions. Um, I think sometimes people think, well, if I ask a question or if I send an email, I'm just, I'm just bothering somebody. And I want you to know that's not true. In fact, this week we had um, somebody email in who is moving into the area, is curious about the church. And we emailed back and forth like four or five different times this week asking questions. I want you to know part of my job is if you have questions that might help you grow in your faith is to answer those questions. That's why I'm here. So you are not bothering me if you send me an email during the week or if you stop me out in the lobby. Um, so if you have questions about the church or anything that you hear, please ask those questions. We want you to ask questions so that you can get the answers that you need to take those ne next steps in your faith. Um, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll get into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we do consider it a privilege to be able to gather together here. Um, and the reason that we're here is because of what you've done for us. Oh God, as we gather together, there, there may be lots of different, maybe reasons specifically, circumstances of our lives that draw us here, but ultimately, God, we are looking to you as the one who is the creator of the universe, who knows everything. We're, we're, we're looking for something from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Father, I'm so thankful for the truth of the gospel, that when we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything that brings us into a relationship with you that should change everything about us and last forever. And may we understand more of that hope, more of just what you desire to do in our lives today as we seek to live in a way that pleases and honors you. God, the, the world that we live in, it, it's a challenging place. And sometimes we're, we're not really sure how to navigate the difficult circumstances that we come up against. But God, I know that you, um, you've promised to give us wisdom uh, when we don't know what to do so that we can live to please and honor you. And, and so, God, I, I, again, I pray to that end this morning. Um, just continue to show up in our midst, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What do you do when the Bible doesn't say what you want it to say? And I'm not talking about, like, what do you do when the Bible doesn't say, here's how to be rich and have all of your wildest dreams come true. I'm not talking about something that, honestly, would be very self-centered. I'm not even talking about, like, what do you do when the Bible doesn't tell you how to avoid all problems in life uh, or exactly what God's will is for your life in any and every situation. I'm not talking about those things. What I'm talking about is, what do you do when the Bible doesn't say what you want it to say about a specific subject. So the Bible talks about a subject, but maybe the way that it talks about that subject is maybe not what you expect. Or maybe there's a, a, a 
the Bible says something, but you recognize that there's culture wrapped up in it somewhere, but you're not exactly sure how much is cultural or what it is that you're supposed to apply because you recognize just the world of, the, of Scripture is different than the world that we live in. So what do you do when the Bible doesn't say what you want it to say? I'm going to give you an example that I think is relatively straightforward before we get into the actual subject that we're talking about today, just so you understand what I mean. So head covering for women. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that women should not pray or prophesy with their heads uncovered. If you read that instruction, you think, okay, there has to be culture that's wrapped up in that somewhere, but how much of it's cultural, what's not cultural, what do we take from that, what do we apply today, things like that, right? So I think there are three options of things that we can do when the Bible doesn't say what we want it to say. The first option is we just take it literally. And that's probably the most straightforward way that we could look at it, just even though we don't maybe not, don't like what it says, we just read what it says and we do it. So in the case of head covering for women, women should always attend church with their heads covered, or maybe even out in public sometimes. And there are some religious denominations who follow that practice because that's what the Bible says. You just read what it says and you do it. And that's the reason that some people do that, because of the instructions that we read in 1 Corinthians. Second option that we could do, instead of just taking it very literally, well, we could potentially just ignore it. As you read a portion of scripture, like have women have their heads covered, um, and you just say, well, I, I think that's really cultural, it doesn't have anything to do for us, and so you just ignore it. And honestly, with head covering, that may look like that that's what we're doing, because most people don't follow that today. At least most people in our church um, don't follow that today. I don't, there's not a lot of people with a, a head covering on, a hat of some kind, and I don't know, you know the reason that you do that if you have that. But generally speaking, we don't follow that today. But there's a problem with that. Because if we believe that all that every verse in the Bible is applicable for our lives today, if we believe what Paul wrote to Timothy when he said all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, then we can't just ignore things that we don't like. And even if we could ignore certain passages of Scripture, then my question would be, what are the guardrails for that? How do we know what we can't ignore what we can't ignore because certainly it can't just be the things that we don't like or don't understand. So I do think that there is a third option. And this is the option that I would argue for. When the Bible doesn't say what we want it to say, we should think deeply and broadly about that passage of Scripture. So to think deeply about a, a passage of Scripture that we maybe it says something that we don't really understand or it says something that we don't really like, to think deeply about it is to ask why. Why does it say what it says? Why doesn't it say what we would want it to say? It's asking, is there something that is cultural, something that's going on in the lives of the original audience that would help us to understand why Scripture says what it does to that group of people? And then as we think about that, is there a universal application or universal principle that could be applied at any time, anywhere, and that's what we take from that and apply it to our lives? I think that's what we are to do when the Bible doesn't say what we want it to say. First, think deeply. Ask why questions. And then we also are to think broadly. 
To think broadly is to ask, well, how does the rest of Scripture speak into this? What, what, what do other passages of Scripture, how, how do they help me to understand and interpret a passage where the Bible doesn't exactly say what I want it to say? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. For a passage of Scripture that, at least for me, the Bible doesn't exactly say what I want it to say. And so we're going to think deeply and broadly about this subject to hopefully come to a conclusion about how we should live our lives. That's ultimately where we're going. And so the subject matter that we're going to talk about today is slavery in the Bible. And so we're going to talk about why Scripture doesn't out and out condemn slavery and then what we do about that. So we're continuing our series called The Intersection as we're working through the end uh, of the book of Ephesians. We'll be finished in just a couple of weeks. And we're looking this morning at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. So if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. And I would highly encourage that, even if you just use your, your own personal device, to see Scripture. That way you can go back to it as I refer back to it um, throughout the message. And even if you've got your Bibles open, like I'll refer to several other passages of Scripture too. And so maybe you could flip there really fast, even though I'm not going to take time so that you can turn there. But if you're listening, you might be able to get there. If you don't have a Bible with you, though, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Uh, or if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, that's a great resource to follow along um, with. This section that we're looking at today it is in what is referred to as the household codes. It's the third section in what is referred to as the household codes. The household codes are the instructions that we read in they're here in the book of Ephesians that are instructions to wives and husbands, to children and parents, and then they finish with the instructions uh, given to slaves and masters. And again, this is where, at least for me, the Bible does not say what I want it to say. I'm going to read this section for us. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So maybe just me reading that out loud you can begin to see why I'm saying that Scripture doesn't say what I want it to say. Because to me, it would be a whole lot better if Scripture said very clearly, slavery in all of its forms are evil. But it doesn't say that. And I would say on some level, all of us are uncomfortable with what it says because there are parts of that passage that we kind of ignore and then we seek to reapply it in another way. Because typically the way that this passage is taught, and I've done the same thing. I've taught this passage a number of times. This is the first time that I'm actually talking about it in the way that we're talking about it this morning. Because typically the way that this passage is taught is just reapplied to employer-employee relationships. And there's a sense in which it can be applied that way. But if that's all we ever did, we would be ignoring the elephant in the room. 
and always ignoring the elephant in the room, which is the way that slavery is addressed in Scripture, is what causes some people to walk away from the church today, especially young people. So I want to address why the Bible doesn't say what I want it to say. And so as we really begin to think about that, let's think deeply about this first and ask some why questions. Why isn't Scripture very clear in the condemnation of slavery in all of its forms? There's several different reasons that people have proposed over the years as to why that's the case. The first reason is this, that slavery in the biblical context bore little resemblance to slavery in America. So when we hear slavery, automatically we think the slavery that existed in the history of our country was the enslavement of black Africans that in some way was done away with with the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln at the time of the Civil War. And we know about that slavery. We learned about it in our history classes. We've seen movies about it and the brutalities of it, all of those things. And so typically that's what we think about. And I do think that there is something to the fact that slavery in the first century was different. So slavery in Asia Minor under the Roman Empire was different than the slavery that we think about for a number of different reasons. First, sometimes slavery was voluntary. So there were some people who voluntarily became slaves because they were so poor, the only way or the best way, maybe the only way for them to survive and not starve to death was to become a slave. Second main difference about slavery in the first century is that it wasn't just against one race of people. With the slavery that existed in our culture during the time of the Civil War and prior to that, blacks were viewed as being less than. Even if you were a free black person, you were viewed as being less than. So in the first century, it wasn't just one race that you identified a whole group of people as being less than you. It wasn't that easy. The last reason that slavery was different in the first century is that it wasn't always permanent. So there were ways for slaves to gain their freedom, either to purchase their freedom or earn their freedom, and and that happened quite a bit. And so I recognize that there is truth to the reality that what we think about as slavery in America is very different than slavery in the first century. But even then, I'll just be honest, it's not good enough for me. Because if we say, well, slavery was different then, and that's the reason that slavery wasn't just straight out condemned in Scripture, then what we could argue then is slavery is not wrong as long as it's the right form of slavery. So as long as it meets the right criteria, it must be okay. And I'll just tell you, like, that feels really wrong to me. And I'm going to make a case for why I think the Bible teaches that it's wrong too. We'll get there in just a minute. The second reason that some people propose as to why slavery isn't condemned in Scripture is that slavery was deeply rooted in the culture and couldn't be dismantled overnight. And again, I think that there is some truth to this as well. It's been argued that in the city of Rome, which is not necessarily the case throughout the Roman Empire and other cities, but in Rome itself, it's been argued that 80 to 90 percent of the population in Rome were slaves during the first century. And slavery was almost a welfare system in the city of Rome. And while I I think that maybe that's true, 
again, it just bothers me a little bit because it just doesn't quite seem right that we're just okay with that. Because I want the Bible to say more. Another reason that people have proposed as to why slavery isn't condemned in scriptures because the biblical authors placed the proclamation of the gospel and redemption of souls above social reform. It's the idea that biblical authors promoted the gospel and they wanted to see people come to faith in Jesus and their lives to be changed and they did that, they emphasized that over societal reform. And again, I think you can make that case. But I would also argue with these household codes that we read in the book of Ephesians, in some sense, they're bringing about social reform. We've talked about this uh, as we've covered the other two um, aspects of it, that they didn't just go along with culture. They were conservative within culture, but yet they changed culture. They went against culture. Just the fact that Paul addresses women and children and slaves specifically, he gave them agency. He gave agency to people who did not have agency in the world that they lived in. And so that was a radical departure from the culture. And so my question is, Paul, why not just go to the, the next step and say, understand, slavery in all of its forms is wrong. He doesn't do that. So I'm going to give you one more reason. And this is my reason. Why does scripture not condemn slavery in all of its forms? Here's my answer. I don't know. But for some reason, God has chosen to work within cultures without addressing every wrong belief or practice that happened within that culture. I don't like that fact. I think it would be a whole lot easier if Every time someone did something wrong within the society that they lived in, God clearly pointed it out so that there is no question. But for some reason, God chose to overlook and not address every wrong belief or practice in every single culture. I think that's true of slavery, which I'll talk about why. But there are some other issues related to that, too, and I'm going to give you some examples so that you just don't think it's, this is an isolated issue. Let me ask you this. Where is heaven? Now you're like, okay, this is a trick question because nobody's doing anything. It's up there. It's okay. <laughs> Where's hell? It's down there. Do you know why we think that? Because there is a sense in which Scripture presents it that way because Scripture was written to an ancient people who believed that the earth was flat. So up, it's weird when the earth is orbiting, right? It changes all the time, which direction that is, or depending on where you're, what part of the globe you're on, up and down are different. I'll give you another one. Psalm 103 says that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, we understand that. It's far more powerful, powerful image if you believe in a flat earth because east and west are polar opposites. On a globe, at some point, they come back together again. Now, there are some people who would point to obscure verses and say, oh, the Bible always presented the idea that the earth is round. Here's the problem with that. Nobody in the original audience of those 
chapter, or the, those books of the Bible would have ever thought that. And there is no verse that says, hey, I know you guys think the earth is flat. One day science will figure it out. It's not, it's round. That, is, that does not exist. And God never addressed it or never addressed it clearly. I'll give you another example. Polygamy. I go back to Genesis 1 and probably even more specifically Genesis chapter 2 in order to define marriage as designed by God. That marriage is meant to be between one man and one woman for life. You flip a couple of pages and all of a sudden the standard practice of the ancient culture was polygamy. And God didn't address it every single time that somebody did it and said, don't do that, it's wrong. Because of that, there are people that would argue that there is no biblical definition of marriage because it seems to change throughout time and culture. Now, I disagree with that, and there's reasons for that. And I think what we see is that throughout these polygamous relationships, there's always problems that result from that, even though God didn't say to the heroes of our faith, don't do that. And I don't know why. I don't know why God did not say to Abraham, hey, Abraham, don't sleep with your wife's servant. That's a bad idea. And we see that it became a bad idea because there's strife in the family. There's all kinds of problems that resulted from that. But it was a cultural practice that God chose not to address. I don't know why God did not say to David, Israel's greatest king, the man after God's own heart, hey, David, stop marrying all of these women. It is a bad idea. We see that it was a bad idea, strife in his family forever. But God didn't address it specifically to David. Solomon, David's son, the reason that the kingdom of Israel was divided is because Solomon married all of these foreign wives, but God did not specifically address it beforehand with Solomon. Hey, don't do this. This is a really bad idea. So I don't know why, but for some reason, God chooses to work within cultures without addressing every wrong belief or practice. That does not give us any excuses today. Because we've got to try to do the best that we can to figure out how God wants us to live. But as you look at Scripture, I think that that's the case. So that's thinking deeply about Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Now let's think broadly. What challenges the way that we think about slavery and even issues of social justice? I think we need to throw that in there in light of things that are taking place within our own culture. How do we view those things when the Bible doesn't say what we want it to say? I'm going to give us several different beliefs. Um, we'll talk about several different portions of Scripture, but this is not at all meant to be an exhaustive list. This really just scratches the surface, but I think it makes a really good case for why slavery in all of its forms is wrong. First reason is this, is because all people are made in the image of God. I feel like this is something that I end up hitting on on a regular basis, and so if you have been around for a while, you've heard me talk about this before. But the reason I, we have to go here is because any discussion on the value of humanity has to go back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the way that God created humanity. 
Because it's there that we read, God said, let us make mankind, humanity, in our image, created them in his image and likeness, male and female, he created them. That's kind of the summary of Genesis 1, and 27. To be made in the image of God, it's what makes humanity unique. Humanity is the only thing in all creation that's made in the image of God. It is what gives us value and dignity that separates us from the rest of creation. And for our discussion today, it is important to recognize that there are no exceptions to that. All people are made in the image of God. That is regardless of gender, regardless of race, which hasn't always been the case throughout the history of the church, but it's really important. And even regardless of religion, all humanity is made in the image of God and therefore deserves to be treated with equal dignity and respect. Something else that I think has to weigh into this is the reality that the church is made of people from every tribe, nation, and language. I just want you to listen to the words of Revelation chapter 7. Verses 9 and 10, after this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes with white branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. People from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue equally standing before the throne, worshiping the Lamb together. Something else that I think is incredibly important for us to understand today is that racial reconciliation is a direct outflow of the gospel. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 is an incredible passage of scripture. I love Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. In the context, Paul is talking about how Jews and Gentiles are brought together because of the work of Christ. His argument is that before Christ, there was a difference between people. There were insiders and outsiders. Jews were the insiders. Gentiles were the outsiders. Jews were viewed as being better than. Gentiles were lesser than. And Paul says, because of Jesus, that is no more. Because of the work of Jesus, the wall that divides people has been torn down. He's creating in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. It's how different groups of people are brought together equally because of the work of Jesus. Different races of people brought together because of the work of Jesus. And so, yes, we can talk about saving souls, and obviously that's really important. But when we talk about saving souls, we have to recognize at the same time, for my soul to be saved, it has to be transformed. And that's equally transformed with all kinds of different people. There's one other passage that I think has to shape the way that we view issues of slavery and social justice in our world today. And it is the story of a runaway slave who was returned. It's found in the book of Philemon. Philemon's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's a very short letter. So you just skip over it really easily. It's so short, it doesn't have any chapters. It only has verses. But it is an incredible story. We know it as the book of Philemon. It's actually the story of a man named Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. A slave to his owner named Philemon. Philemon, who was a Christian. We don't know specifically what Onesimus was like as a slave. 
if he was just lazy, if he was, if he, it was entirely possible that he had stolen from Philemon, we don't know. Specifically, what we do know is that he was called useless. And one day, Onesimus ran away. He was a runaway slave. He ran off to the city of Rome, hoping to get lost in this large crowd, hoping to make a new life for himself. But when he made his way to Rome, he came across Paul. He came to faith in Christ. And he actually began to help Paul, who was in the city of Rome under house arrest at the time. And because of his faith in Jesus, Onesimus' life was radically transformed. If he was lazy and untrustworthy, he became conscientious and reliable. And so as Paul learned more about Onesimus' story and his background, he told him, you have to go back. You've got to go back and make things right. And so he sent Onesimus back to Philemon, but he did not send him empty-handed. He wrote the letter that we know as the book of Philemon. Don't know if this was the case, but this is how I imagine the story. He said, Onesimus, you've got to go back, but I'm going to send you a letter with you. But whatever you do, do not open the letter. You find Philemon, you hand it to him, and just see what happens. And so now imagine... Onesimus goes back to Philemon's house, knocks on the door, Philemon answers, and there is Onesimus. And he probably, at that point, was still incredibly angry with this runaway slave, and now he's thinking, what are you doing here? And he hands him a letter. And he opens that letter, and he reads the words of the Apostle Paul. They say, I am sending... To you, Philemon, my son, who became my son while I was in chains. And I know he was once useless to you, but he has become useful both to me and to you, and you need to welcome him back. But not as a slave, welcome him as a dearly loved brother. And if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. It's a story of reconciliation and freedom that has to shape the way that we think about issues of slavery and social justice and equality that exist in our world today. And so, yes, the Bible does not say what I wanted to say about slavery. I think it teaches the equal value and equal treatment of all people everywhere. And so then the question becomes, well, what do we do with it? I think the first thing that we do in terms of application is this, that we seek the freedom and equal treatment and justice for all people. It's one of the great things about living in our country. If we see where there is injustice or inequality in systems or there are laws or institutions where we feel like that's the case, we can seek to bring about change and change laws and things like that. And as we see areas of injustice systems of injustice, whatever it is, we should be doing that. We should be seeking the equal treatment for all people everywhere. The second thing that we can do is to be praying for the equal treatment and justice of people everywhere. I think with this issue of of slavery, it would be really easy for us to think, well, that's not even something that we have to worry about because slavery is no longer in existence in our country. And I would argue against that, just has taken a different form. It's there, it's just not in front of us anymore. But that's not the case in every society around the world. 
Slavery still exists. And we need to recognize, because of our belief, that everyone deserves to be treated with equal value and dignity, that when we hear stories about uh, the genocide of Muslim people in China, or the subjugation of other groups of people in other countries, or the persecution of Christians that happens in other countries around the world, we recognize that all of those things break the heart of God. And we should be praying for equality and justice for all people everywhere. So first, we can seek to bring about change in our country, something that we can do as we recognize systems of injustice or where there are places of injustice. The second thing we should be doing is praying for the freedom and equal treatment of all people. But the third thing, really when it comes down to it, it, it comes down to us. That each of us individually make the determination to treat all people the way that we believe Jesus would treat all people. It's the work of the Spirit of God when we come to faith in Christ He begins to change us so that we become more like Jesus. And part of becoming more like Jesus is treating all people the way that we believe Jesus would treat all people. And so it's the Spirit of God who can expose prejudices in our own hearts and lives. And as we recognize those things, we should seek forgiveness from those things and change so that we can become more like Jesus. So here's the reality. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say what I wanted to say about slavery. Because I wanted to say, slavery is wrong in all of its forms. It doesn't say that, but I believe it teaches it. And as we recognize the, the value of all people that God has laid out throughout Scripture, that can really impact the way that we live our lives. And it's something that makes a difference in how we live every single day. And so it's my prayer for all of us that we understand, as we've talked about the, this subject matter this morning, that we know what it looks like, how it makes a difference in our lives Monday through Saturday. As we seek to treat all people with dignity and love them the way that Jesus loved them. So at some point, for those that don't know Jesus, maybe they ask us why you're different. And we can say it's because of the love of Jesus that rescued me from my sin and is radically changing my life. Will you pray with me?